The Paul Kaharski Podcast is brought to you by Yazoo Brewing Company, a Nashville original since 2003. Welcome in from the home studio in Brentwood, Tennessee. This is Paul Kuharski from paulkuharski.com with the Yazoo Podcast. Yazoo Brew, my favorite beer in town, the best of many local options. You should check them out. You can always find them with their distinctive red and white triangular logo. I am partial to the Hefeweizen, and uh, I drink it year-round, but uh, tis the season now if you are a seasonal beer drinker. They have something for everyone. I highly recommend it. They are uh, very good to me, and I hope you will be very good to them. We are going with the mailbag edition of the podcast today, and it is for everyone. I encourage you to subscribe to paulkuharski.com, just $5.99 a month. Uh, you can get 12 months for the price of 11, and it is a steal. Um, podcasts that are usually at least two-thirds members only, uh, live, Facebook Lives, Periscopes, um, everything that I write, guest columns from Blake Bedingfield, access to a uh, private club via a private Facebook group, you're missing out if you're not a member and you're not as big a Titans fan as you say you are if you're not a member. Please check it out. Let's dive right into some of these questions. Many good ones I've collected from Twitter and from uh, Facebook. Ed Lowe, which is what I always call him, E-H-D-L-O on Twitter, asks, what is the optimal timing of the draft? Insane, we still have three more weeks of made-up content. First or second weekend of April seems like much more humane options. Well, they're not going to move the draft based on um, how you feel about waiting and what you're reading and watching or how I feel about the content that I'm producing. But I do think they should consider moving it. I I think uh, the hay is in the barn in terms of player study for teams. Um, And I, I think, you know, um, all parties concerned outside of you know what the traditional timetable is would prefer to um, get these picks made and um, have the players in-house to some degree, um, even if it's just getting playbooks in their hands um, and having them you know move from um, from combine style work. Uh, pro day style work to um, a team's football specific work um, that alone would be an advantage now the NFL wants to control the sports calendar in a certain way and having the draft at the end of April helps them do that so I don't know that we'll see a change but it is very practical change to request Um, and it would make sense for teams to uh, get their rosters compiled Look, the second wave of free agency um, has really shrunk. There's not a lot of movement. We saw Quentin Spain sign in Buffalo, and that was kind of a, a freak signing. goes pretty quiet. That first round is sped up. Um, there's a, a, a mild second round, but then everybody waits to draft to see what happens in the second big round of free agency. won't happen until after the draft until people see what they get. Uh, They want to see what they get at free agency, and then they'll fill in the cracks um, with that second tier of free agents, if you will. Um, 
I'm with you. I, I want to see it moved up. I don't think it'll happen, but it would make a lot of sense. Chris Kaklamanis, Kaklamanis asks, who's one free agent still on the market that I'd make a play to sign if I were the Titans GM? If I'm John Robinson, uh, you know, I'm certainly considering Ziggy Ansa. Uh, the edge rusher from, from Detroit. He only played seven games last year. He had four sacks. He's, he's clearly a good edge option. The league has spoken, though. I'm sure his demands are high. Um, you know, maybe the health concerns are there. Um, and now if you're the Titans, you want to see what you can get on the edge in the draft. Cameron Wake was your big bridge guy. Um, but I think if you don't do well in the draft at edge, um, look, Harold Landry is going to be a player for you on the edge. He needs to get stronger and expand his repertoire. Um, you know, I think Sharif Finch has a chance to, to become a player. He's got a pretty good repertoire. Uh, but, you know, Kamale Correa is a limited guy. Um, and Cameron Wake's not going to be around for a long time. So, you know, you, you need to hit it in the draft. Um, and if you don't, somebody like Ziggy Ansa is, is somebody you need to give a, a, a look. Another guy that I don't think that they'll, they'll look at, but I, I don't understand the reluctance is, uh, is Michael Crabtree. Um, now he's going to get a lot less action if he signs here and, and you'd have to make sure he's okay with that. And he's not going to make noise. 54 catches, 607 yards last year for the Ravens. It's just an 11.2 yard average. Just a 27-yard long, just three TDs. Um, but if he checks out personality-wise and he's willing to take a lesser role, that's the kind of veteran guy who, you know, could start opposite Corey Davis if you needed him to, at least at times, um, you know, at least in situations where you don't want Adam Humphreys, who's a slot guy, to be your second outside receiver. Um, you know, and... And he knows routes. Um, you're not going to be waiting on him to learn like a lot of these young guys. He would help allow people like uh, Taewon Taylor and certainly Tajay Sharp to more naturally fit into the roles that they're more suited for, which are not number two and number three or number four receiver spots. Number, four. you know, Tajay Sharp is a fourth receiver at best. He probably should be a fifth receiver. Um, I'd take a look at somebody like Crabtree on a cheap one-year deal. The Titans always seem to be reluctant with a guy like that. Uh, seemed to serve the Ravens pretty well last year. Now, obviously, they're going a different direction, and there's some meaning in that. Sean Ferguson asks, If Nashville knocks the NFL draft out of the park this year, could you see the city getting it again down the road? I mean, I think they're going to take this thing on a on a tour. Um you know, there's probably a limited number of cities that could handle hosting it, but um, I think you'll see several of them stepping up and wanting it. And uh, I think, you know, virtually every NFL city could handle it to some degree. I mean, Kansas City threw its hat in the ring, and I could see it in Kansas City. Uh, Cleveland slash Canton, uh, you know, makes sense as a Hall of Fame connected thing. Las Vegas, I'm sure, will do a great job. Um you know, it was cool in Dallas and Chicago and Philadelphia. And I could see plenty of other cities, you know, just kind of uh, 
thinking about the league. They open a book to, to look at cities, you know. I don't see it in Buffalo, but, you know, you could see it in Miami. You could see it in New England. You certainly could could see it in New York, not in a uh, – not in uh, any longer in a um, why am I blanking out on the uh, Radio City Music Hall way, but in a in a much bigger fashion now. You could see it in Baltimore down by the waterfront. I uh, hell, I could see it in Cincinnati down by the river. Uh, you know, I could see it in Pittsburgh, uh, Houston at the stadium, Indianapolis held the Super Bowl, it could certainly handle a draft downtown, and it's got a nice footprint. I wouldn't be wild about it in Jacksonville. Denver's got a great downtown. Um, Los Angeles, I think, between the Chargers and um, and the Rams, when the new stadium's ready, uh, they, could, they could do one. Um, D.C. would be sweet. Um... You know, Minnesota in the spring, is it is it warm enough? Green Bay is probably a place I wouldn't take it, you know. Detroit in April, I don't know if it's warm enough, but they've done it in Chicago. Uh, Atlanta is a no for me, but the league might take it. Carolina, you know, Charlotte is not my favorite city. New Orleans could definitely do it. Uh, Tampa Bay, you know. Could be a cool place. I, I, you know, here I am rattling off the entire league. I think it'd be cool in Seattle. It would be cool in uh, in downtown San Francisco, which is a long way from the 49ers, but which is where you want it. Uh, Phoenix, even. So, uh, yeah, I could see it rotating through almost every every city in the league, um, and maybe some cities that aren't in the league. So, I could see it back in Nashville, but I, I don't think it'll be a small. I don't think it'd be a small rotation like the Super Bowl is ultimately going to be. Um, Titans, Titan fans see, not saying I want them to, but are the Titans shopping Conklin for draft capital on down the line? This idea, I've, I've addressed it before, Jack Conklin doesn't have a lot of value. First off, people don't know about his health. Um, so you're not going to trade for a guy who you don't know about his health. Uh, he's only under contract for another year. You're not giving up a lot for a guy that's only under contract for another year. If they exercise his option, he's under contract for two years, and you're trading for a guy, uh, a right tackle, who would be the third most expensive right tackle in the league in 2020 at a $12 million salary, and you're not sure about his health. Uh, there's a lot of unknowns with Jack Conklin right now. I don't know that you're rushing to sign him uh, or rushing to trade for him, excuse me. Um, so I don't think they're shopping him and I don't think people would be buying him. Um, uh, doesn't make a lot of, a lot of sense to me, um, there. So I think the answer to that is no. Uh, Caleb Shore asks, are my lenses rose colored or are the Titans meeting with a high number of top rated defensive linemen and wide receiving prospects? Seems like more than past years to me. I think we know they probably like a lot of these guys. Could we expect multiple picks at these positions? Well, it shouldn't be a surprise that they're meeting with a lot of top-rated defensive linemen and wide receivers. Those are two of their biggest positions of need. They need to sort through those guys. And I think it's entirely possible that their first two picks could be a defensive lineman 
and a wide receiver. I would hope in that order. Um, certainly there's a possibility that they would trade back. And then, you know, you could have three picks uh, conceivably, you know, in the bottom of the first or the top of the second, uh, you know, the three picks certainly in the before the end of the second round. Um, I don't know about multiple picks at those spots. You know, defensive line, you need at least one guy. Wide receiver, you need at least one guy. You know, that would be paired then with Humphreys, and you'd have made two additions. Uh, I'm not big at throwing big numbers at a position. The Titans have tried that at wide receiver in a draft before. Uh, you know, get a good player high in the draft um, and try to answer your problems that way. I'm not big on the uh, several mid-range players at one position trying to throw a bunch of spaghetti at the wall and see how much sticks. Um, but, you know, obviously they're going to look at guys at their biggest positions of need. Who do I have winning the WWE Women's Championship belts at WrestleMania? Becky, Charlotte, or Rhonda? That comes from Cole Young. And Cole Young knows that I am a huge WWE fan, especially of the women. And uh, I'm going to rank these based on my favorite names. Becky, I'm going to presume, is Rebecca. And I like the name Rebecca, number one. Charlotte, number two. And Rhonda, number three. So I'm going in the very order you presented them to me in. I, I like Rebecca. Number one, Charlotte, number two, and I, I'm down on Rhonda. That was from Get Your Podcast, excuse me. Literally, Get Your Podcast, G-E-T-C-H-O Podcast. Cole Young asks a, uh, I, and I like offbeat questions like that. Cole Young 09 asks, if Dennis Kelly is just a backup this year, do I think he demands top right tackle money next offseason, or do they try to lock him up this offseason? I personally think Conklin will cost too much to keep. Look, Kelly's going to be a backup this year, may start some games. How do you make the leap from being a backup this year to demanding top right tackle money next offseason? Even if he were to go from a backup to a starter next year. You don't go from a backup to being a top paid right tackle next year. That's an awfully big leap. You go from a backup to being paid like a starter, not from a backup to being paid like a top starter. Top starters, I told you in 2020 right now, Conklin's $12 million, which would be the option number, would be the third highest paid right tackle in the league. I'm pretty confident Dennis Kelly's not making $12 million with the Titans in 2020. I have made the case, and if you scroll back um, at paulkuharski.com, you'll find a story where I wrote that Dennis Kelly, to me, is the second most important uh, extension behind Kevin Byard um, looking forward. And the Titans have a lot of guys who are up. Uh, but in terms of right now, obviously you need to see more from Marcus Mariota you need to see more from Derrick Henry. Uh, you need to see more from Jack Conklin. Uh, but I think if you're looking right now, hey, who's up after 2020 um, where the Titans have a hole in their roster and need to extend the guy? Kevin Byard, clearly, you know, all-pro caliber player, needs to be extended. And I'd say Dennis Kelly, because of the uncertainty with Conklin, 
uh, you know, it'd be wise to extend him and assure yourself that you have a starting caliber right tackle locked up and you're not in a panic at right tackle a year from now with two guys as free agents. Logan Ryan, you know, I'd like to see him extended, but, uh, you know, you're not in a complete jam if he gets to free agency next year the way you would be if both Conklin and Kelly um, reach free agency next year. So I think uh, it's interesting. But let's not make the leap from third tackle to top right tackle money. There's a lot of room between those two things. I think you're making quite a jump there, Mr. Young. Joe Lemming asks, when can we expect Wolfpack leader Will Compton to sign his new max contract with the team. Sadly, I think that Will Compton's term with the Titans will uh, end after one year. Love the guy personally. Uh, love what he brought to the locker room. Uh, certainly gave his best effort on the field. Um, but I think uh, will ultimately be replaced by the sort of player the Titans didn't acquire last year in a four-pick draft um, with a... Uh, Young, late draft pick. Um, not necessarily an inside linebacker, but uh, you know, a linebacker of some type who's a special teams ace and uh, you know, project player can maybe develop into uh, the guy that'll take Wesley Woodyard's roster spot a year from now, but be at the back of the inside linebacker uh, I just said he wouldn't be an inside linebacker. Probably will be an inside linebacker. So a year from now, uh, the, the inside linebacker group would be Rashawn Evans and Jayon Brown. Um, and then the third guy could be a draft pick who's uh, primarily a special teamer and a guy who would play uh, depth, be a backup. B. Jarnigan33 on Twitter asks, would I rather be feared or loved? I think I blocked this guy or muted him. Uh, but now on Twitter, you can see like you get something from somebody you blocked or muted. And then you have the option of looking at it. And so sometimes I look at uh, those things. Would I rather be feared or loved? I mean, I think even the biggest asshole unless you're a professional athlete or uh, a football player looking to intimidate or, you know, whatever the job may be where having people fear you is important, is going to say loved. I mean, I think everybody has in them some degree of wanting to be loved. Uh, I don't want to be feared. I want to be respected. I want to be considered smart. Um, I would rank those things generally above being loved like by the general public. Um, you know, if we're talking beyond wife and child and family and close friends, uh, there are things that are certainly more important to me than being loved by the general public. Uh, I'm going to be honest and authentic and share my opinions and feelings and things like that. And I hope you think that I'm uh, smart and honest and original and uh, true to myself and all of those things. If you love me for that, that's great. Uh, I'd like you to respect me for that. I'd like you to uh, appreciate me for that. Uh, but 
Given the choice between loved and feared, I certainly would take loved. Focus one Jehu, J-E-H-U, asks, will Dion Lewis have one or two more years as a Titan? Kind of depends on Henry, but he needs to break a long run or two, or a lot more, for management coaches to see his worth, right? Well, certainly, uh, I mean, Dion Lewis is best if he's playing off of Derrick Henry as the changeup back, right? More of a third down guy, maybe not third and one, but um, more of a third down guy, more of the pass catching back, more of a changeup to Henry. That would be better for everyone. Um, and I would expect he would play better given that situation. Now that keys on him running better, but also keys on Henry playing better. So you need Henry to play better for uh, Lewis to play better as a spinoff of Henry. So he's somewhat reliant on what's going on before he comes on the field and gets the ball. He was miscast as a starter, as a first down back last year. Um, even though Henry maybe was getting the first snap in some of those games um, when Henry was disappointing. We were seeing a lot of Lewis, and I think he was miscast in a lot of those situations. Yes, we need to see more big runs out of him. Certainly, I'm more concerned in a lot of ways with what he could do as an option out of the backfield in the passing game. And so I'd like to see more of that. Um but look, uh, you know, I don't have his contract in front of me, but, uh, you know, Derrick Henry's up after this year. So uh, uh, they got to worry about him first before they're worrying about Deion Lewis's future. Uh, I think it could be a pretty good one-two punch if they're both playing their best football. Let's see what Arthur Smith can do with setting them up to play their best football and here's a wild card that, uh, you know, needs to be talked about when we're talking about Derrick Henry and Deion Lewis playing their best. Roger Saffold and a TBD right guard. Offensive line's got to be better. They got a much better left guard, much uh, an upgrade over Quentin Spain. Now what's the upgrade over uh, Josh Klein? Those two guys are going to have a big bearing on both those running backs. And certainly, as pertains to your question, focus, a big bearing on Deion Lewis. Got to stop dancing around, get going, and make some catches. Edward Graveson asks, outside of Mariota, who do I feel needs to take a step forward in 2019 to help the Titans get over the double-digit wins? First name that pops to mind there is Corey Davis. Consistent week-to-week performance, uh, threatening, um, not disappearing for long stretches, not disappearing for games, solid week-to-week threat. I'm not expecting a 100-yard game every week, but I'm expecting defenses to have to worry about him. Um, I'm expecting him to benefit from Delaney being back, from Humphreys being in the lineup, from Henry hopefully for the Titans' sake, running better right out of the gate. Um, obviously, him being better would help Mariota be better. Uh, he was the number five pick overall in the draft. You would hope in his third year he would be a more consistent help. Um, so we shall see there. 
Um, I can't tell if this is from Nick Fly or Alex Sears. Do I have any insight into why the Titans brass slash coaches didn't like Spain? Yeah, I mean, the interior three weren't good, and they decided to go away from two of the three. Spain, um, whose contract was up, and Josh Klein, who had uh, money that was going to guarantee the two guards, both gone, and they're upgrading. They upgraded on Spain in a big way with Roger Saffold, who was the best guard available on the market, uh, and is one of the best guards in the league, probably. And uh, they're going to upgrade on, on Klein, probably with a draft pick here. I just didn't think he was he was very good. Um, I'm sorry, I'm not catching the way I cut and pasted this. I can't tell who asked the question. The silly Twitter poll. How do I personally rate the Titans fans given all my experience? Here's where I turn a lot of you off, but uh, I think you're you're with me here because I'm honest. I mean, there are a lot of very very good Titans fans who are diehards who uh, have an honest assessment of their team, and uh, who who aren't afraid to hear the truth and tell the truth about their team. It's a team that's moving in a good direction. It has much better management. I think much better coaching. Um, still lacks uh, some of the the. Star power, the production uh, that it needs, obviously. Can't get over the Andrew Luck hump by any means. Um, uh, is capable of uh, wilting at, at key moments. Titan, There is a big element or a big vocal element of Titans fan base that can be babies, that, that doesn't handle the truth well, that wants to be talked about like it's a Super Bowl contender, um, that truly believes in this poll that it's a better fan base than Dallas, um, you know, which was an 8-1 upset in the Fox poll of fan bases. The Titans are not a better fan base than the Dallas Cowboys. And any legitimate Titans fan who has an understanding of the league, it knows that. It knows that whether it wins the title against Cleveland in this fan poll that it's not a comparable fan base to Cleveland. Um, it's a fan base that was spoiled largely by the um, uh, success of 1999 and going uh, to the Super Bowl in its first season. Um, it's not a fan base that shows up no matter what, like some fan bases do. Um, and so, you know, I don't think it's uh, it's the best fan base in the league by any means. I don't think it's the worst. Um, it's a fan base that's good to me, that um, a good share or a good enough share likes honest, candid uh, information, analysis, insight, asks smart questions, uh, wants to have smart conversations, and I'm I'm very appreciative for that. But I think there's a good share that uh, overrates itself and uh, has thin skin. Will Lee asks, do I see the Titans order of priority, offensive line, defensive line, then edge, or do I consider them all the same level of priority? If J-Rob does not draft Garrett Bradbury, if he's there in the first round, do I think the plan is to have Corey Levin play center and move Ben Jones to guard? 
Look, the order of priority, it's not like they look at the draft and say, we've got to go in this order. It depends on who's there. You know, it depends on who's there. If, um, you know, if the best guy at 19, say they stay at 19, you know, well, if the draft falls in a way that, that the best guy's an edge rusher, then they're going to take the edge rusher and they'll worry about the other stuff down the road. Um, so I do not think by any means that Garrett Bradbury is the only guy that they can take um, in, in, the, in the draft that's going to solve their problem in, in the middle. I, I don't think that by any I mean, in the first round, Jonah Williams from Bama was probably ultimately going to be a tackle, but he's a guy who could start off inside. And he could be, you know, I think he's a better player universally uh, in the eyes of people than Garrett Bradbury. Uh, Chris Lidstrom from BC is a guy that, that Vrabel's going to be exceptionally familiar with. His, his, uh, his new strength coach is going to be exceptionally familiar with. Um, Harold Landry's going to be familiar with. Dalton Risner from K-State. El... Eldon Jenkins from Mississippi State, Eric McCoy from AM. These are all very good players who could could be a right guard um, or or uh, center on opening day. I, I don't understand why you go from if they don't get Bradbury at 19, then Levin has to play center and Jones has to move to guard. You're looking at one guy is the only potential solution. There are many potential solutions there, Will. You gotta go bigger there. You gotta go bigger. Lee Ramsey asks, will the recent rule change allowing challenges for pass interference calls or no calls affect coaches' strategic decisions about all types of challenges? PI calls slash no calls can be so important in a game. Do you think coaches will be less likely to challenge other types of calls? Lee, this is a good topic. Here's what I think. You hold your flags until you see something that you think is obviously wrong and needs to be corrected, right? If you're a good coach with this, you don't throw wishful flags saying, well, you know, I hope they might reverse that because it seems like there could be a little bit of doubt there. You hold your flags until something seems obviously wrong and trustworthy guys in the box and your eyes on the replay that you see on the board, hopefully on the road, but certainly at home, tell you that something was missed. And your players are smart enough to be honest with you and not immediately signal to you, throw the challenge flag, but say, Coach, that was legitimately pass interference. Or, Coach, I recovered that fumble. Or, Coach... His knee was down. My knee was down. That ball was out. And then you throw the flag. And I, in that regard, I don't think you hold anything because there might be a pass interference later. If there's a call right now in the first five minutes of the game that is clearly wrong in your eyes or in the eyes of somebody you trust that is giving you um, information that you trust, that is having an impact on the game that you think if you could reverse that impact is going to be influential, you throw the flag. And if you don't think it's going to be that influential and you're not confident that it's going to be overturned, you don't throw the flag. 
But in terms of saying, well, you know what? This fumble call here could really, uh, I, I think it was a fumble. And I think they'd reverse it to a fumble. But I'm not going to throw the flag now because there could be a pass interference call later. I, I, I wouldn't operate that way. I'd operate on when a moment comes and I think something's called wrong and I think there's visual evidence that could reverse it that's going to help my team in a significant way. I don't care what the foul is. I don't care what's missed. I, I've got to use the flag on that no matter what it is. Jim Belaski asks, do, do I or people I chat with have insights into what happens when an offense that is doing nothing all game suddenly starts moving the ball late in the game, especially in a close game? Um, I mean, my sense of that question is uh, the, the defense generally, even in a close game, tends to play a little bit safer. And um, that plays a factor in letting you move the ball a little bit more easily. Uh, we certainly see that happen in games that aren't that close. But uh, I'd be interested, Jim, in talking with you more about more specific situations that you're talking about. Heath Greenwell, uh, we're going to circle back to something we talked about already here, says, uh, is there an interior offensive lineman that can instantly impact this team in a major way, and should the Titans draft this guy in the first round? Just for context, I remember when the Steelers drafted Pouncey and the Niners drafted Ayupati. Those lines seemed to instantly dominate with that kind of upgrade. Is that interior lineman in this draft? I don't think so. And I'll also point out, you know, do you remember when the Titans drafted uh, Chance Warmack? Or when Arizona drafted, was it Arizona who drafted uh, the other guard in that draft? Was it Cooper? Um, you know, so it's not like the Titans haven't taken a crack at that offensive lineman. And think what Chance Warmack could have done for this team if he was what they thought he would have been. But earlier I listed off for you a bunch of uh, offensive linemen that I think could be impactful. I don't think they're going to be Pouncey or Ayupati, um, not, not immediately anyway. Jonah Williams could conceivably be. Um, you know, I think Bradbury's going to be a good player. I don't think he's a transformational player like some of those guys. But Lidstrom, Risner, Jenkins, McCoy, I think these are all guys who could be very good starting offensive linemen that could complete what the Titans have going there and help them transform their line. Chris, uh, Craig Murray, talent evaluation and draft planning seems like it would be an exercise in information overload. How do GMs deal with this when it comes down to the crunch? Do I think they tend to rely on their intuition more than anything else? The reason I ask is that I'm thinking about some of the spectacular mistakes that teams have made. I'm wondering to what extent personalities, egos, desires for a particular narrative override objectivity. Well, look, I think teams make an assessment on a guy, and sometimes that assessment is wrong. But I think ultimately they boil it down. So you've got uh, information overload. But then you've got a series of meetings where you're boiling it down and you're putting a grade on a guy, a letter or a number. Um, you're putting a number on a guy with a shield, you know, uh, a number 
with a shield that says this guy's got some behavioral concerns, this guy's got some learning ability concerns, this guy's got some injury concerns, or hopefully uh, no shield, uh, you know, no shield that says anything about him beyond his grade. And so uh, all that information overload has been boiled down into that number. That number then stacks him into a pod, uh, into a grouping of people, and that grouping of people is ordered. And, uh, you know, the information overload isn't a factor when the draft comes around. All that stuff's been sifted through, and he's just there, a, a name with a, a number, and you've decided what you think about that guy. So, you know, maybe the information overload's been a factor while you did it, and I get what you're talking about. I mean, Chris Henry, when the Titans drafted him, they took the the combine element of the information overload and put way too much juice on that. And that's a mistake. So, yeah, the intuition as to what John Robinson and what the uh, his scout who looked at that guy and then the scout who cross-checks that half of the country have said about that guy... Um, you know, those are important factors too, but I think they try to take that out. Now, to a degree, I mean, but John Robinson, you know, has used LaShawn Sims as an example. He really liked LaShawn Sims. There was stuff he saw in LaShawn Sims that he thought, this is a guy that we should, you know, really be thinking about in the fifth round, right? Uh, so he had an instinctive feeling about him based on the numbers and the production and what they saw from him in college. Um, and ideally, those things line up together. And I think LaShawn Sims is a four or fifth round pick, been, you know, amounted to a, a decent player for them, for a fifth round pick. Uh, somebody asked me if they should just re-sign Morgan uh, and then go heavy D-line. Absolutely not. Derek Morgan, God bless him. He put in good service time with the Titans. He was a good player, not a great player. Um, he could disrupt. He didn't get to the quarterback often enough. He got close to the quarterback a lot. It was clear last season that um, you know his legs weren't sufficient anymore. Um I think he probably ends up retiring because I don't know that he's going to get any great opportunity. And I think the biggest question about Derek Morgan, frankly, um, is his wife, who was the food provider for <clears throat> the vegans um, in the Titans locker room. And uh, th that element's going to be really missed for guys unless he stays in Nashville, Nashville and she continues to provide um, <clears throat> those menus. Um, but no, they shouldn't. I mean, you just want a body in there. They can do better and they should do better and they will do better. I mean, Cameron Wake has replaced uh, Arakpo and or Morgan. They need another guy. And uh, I would hope that guy comes in, in the draft. Uh, but also people can move up, you know. So I'd rather see more more snaps for Sharif Finch than snaps from, from Derek Morgan, though obviously you need some of the, the run-stopping uh, run um, talents of, uh, of Morgan and Arakpo that we saw um, 
during the season, which uh, which was an area that they performed better um, than they got credit for probably during the course of the season. Uh, just a couple more here. That question, by the way, was from Farah. He said, would you take back Morgan for cheap and go all DL in the draft? I wouldn't go all anything in the draft, by the way. <clears throat> Jamal, Jamalisms. Asked, do I have buyer's remorse after spending hundreds of dollars on the best fan Twitter poll and seeing the Titans fans now getting whooped in the championship? I haven't checked in on the championship. <clears throat> I do think the Browns are a better fan base than the Titans, as I said before. I think that's unquestionable whether you win the poll or not. And good luck to you if it means a lot to you. Um, I think it's funny that uh, this whole thing about whether some Titans fans invested some money in winning some votes I've seen the argument about, uh, you know, the thing only refreshes so often. There was a late push with votes to beat the Bills. I think it's totally conceivable that that happened. I did have one legitimate uh, hint that somebody was up to something. Uh, so it wouldn't surprise me if somebody was up to something in terms of swaying that. And I think it's incredibly sad if somebody was spending money or time somehow trying to manipulate the system um, because it's a damn Twitter poll. It's a damn Twitter poll. Uh, credit to Fox Sports for coming up with something that's gotten them so much attention, gotten their Twitter feed so much attention. Last question goes to Will Craig, a fine member of the starting 22. Uh, if you want on the wait list for the starting 22, my uh, highest level membership which is well worth uh, a high-level cost. We're just about to fill a, a rare opening off of my wait list. If you want on that wait list, pkuharski at gmail.com. Will Craig, a great and devout member who uh, golfed with me at the Midday Masters. Um, <clears throat> he asks, Arthur Smith has never been in the public eye, but he's surely still given his opinions in coaching rooms in previous draft preparations. How much choice does a first-year offensive coordinator get on draft day? And how much do you think John Robinson will entertain Smith's opinions? If and when John is um, asking for an opinion in the moment, um, and, you know, they're looking to build consensus. They, they want, um, you know, the general manager wants the scouts uh, who've looked at these guys the most um, the position coach who's going to be working with the guy the most, the coordinator who's going to be calling the plays, involving the guy and the head coach, all to be in agreement on a player. Um, some coaches are better scouting coaches than others. We know, you know, Mike Munchak was a good scouting coach. Uh, Jim Washburn was a good scouting coach. Others are not. Um, Mike Vrabel should have a sense of that. John Robinson certainly should have a sense of that. Arthur Smith's input on tight ends, I imagine, would be valued above his input on other guys. But they're not going to give him people that he doesn't want, and he'll uh, be of some influence. Hard to say how much. Um, thanks for the question, Will. Thanks to all of you for listening. If you're not a member of paulkuharski.com, this is an example of the kind of stuff you're going to get uh, behind the wall. I encourage you to check out on the site. If you're on your desktop, there's a membership button. You can look at your options. $5.99 a month. 
12 months for the price of 11. If you're on your phone, click the three dashes. If you're on your iPad, click the three dashes. I hope I've, hope I've helped you get through a commute or a workout or something. Uh, I've enjoyed the conversation. I appreciate you listening along. Thanks so much. See you next time. Uh, my thanks, as always, to Yazoo Brew um, for their sponsorship of these podcasts. I appreciate their commitment to, to me. And uh, I encourage you to uh, show a similar commitment to them. Thanks so much. Take care. The Paul Kaharski Podcast is a joint production of paulkaharski.com and Vocal. For more information and more programming, please visit vocalnow.com. That's V-O-K-A-L-N-O-W dot com. Mm-hmm.